Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. The Republicans coming out swinging today, talking about Joe Biden, talking about the impeachment inquiry, which is, you know, full on. Elise Stefanik, James Comer, he's oversight. uh, And the speaker, Mike Johnson, having a press conference. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. And man, Elise Stefanik was not taken prisoners. The DOJ, FBI, and other federal agencies mobilized to play cover-up and attack Biden's leading political opponent, Donald Trump, in a desperate effort to distract from Joe Biden's failings. And Joe Biden has lied continuously to the American people about how he was not only aware of, but was involved with and financially benefited from his family's corrupt influence peddling schemes. Look around this room on these poster boards. The evidence is here. And unlike Joe Biden, the bank records do not lie. The Biden crime family sold out America and the American people have had enough. And while extreme Democrats pursued a sham impeachment of Donald Trump focused on baseless lies driven by partisan politics, House Republicans have and will continue to follow the facts, uncovering more damning evidence each and every day. This week, the House Republican Conference is unveiling an impeachment inquiry website, providing the public with a one-stop shop for updates from each of our committees and the evidence they are uncovering. It also includes a timeline, which lays out exactly what the Biden crime family did to get us to this point. Transparency is the hallmark of America. With each new fact, we find it becomes more clear that Joe Biden is compromised and unfit to lead. Well, I could have told you that. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, if I forgot to say hello, sometimes I forget to say hello. Then Congressman James Comer, oversight chairman from Kentucky. The door was wide open to his family's influence peddling schemes. But Joe Biden allowed his son to catch a ride on Air Force Two at least a dozen times to sell the Biden brand around the world. The, the National Archives has also identified the office of vice president emailed with the Biden family and their businesses over 29,000 times. However, the White House is withholding these emails from Congress in addition to the 82,000 pages of pseudonym emails. 82,000 pages. President Biden claimed his family didn't receive money from China, but we all know they did. President Biden's son, brother, sister-in-law, and daughter-in-law collectively received millions from CCP-linked entities. We've also revealed how Joe Biden received $40,000 in laundered China money in the form of a personal check from his sister-in-law. The White House and corporate media continue to move the goalpost as they seek to cover up for President Biden and his family. But Nate, make no mistake, financial records, emails, text messages, and witness testimony reveal that the Biden family enterprise is centered on Joe Biden's political career and connections. Well, yeah. I think that we've seen enough of that to allow this inquiry to go forward, and which is why I've always favored the inquiry. The reason I've always wanted the impeachment inquiry is that I want people to see this. You heard Congresswoman Stefanik, she's out of New York, talking about we've set up a website so people can see the information. That's what matters. Now you say to me, no, impeaching Joe Biden is what matters. I'm not going to say that that should be off the table. That is not my argument. My argument has always been don't move until you've got it, until you have something you can really present. Never mind what Democrats are going to say about it. That's inconsequential. 
the obje- impeachments are political moves, not legal moves. And therefore you're utilizing this because A, there is an impropriety. There is a serious issue at play. It's not for some transient causes, I see it. And then uh, part two, you're able to show America what kind of person we're talking about here, and then they can make their own decisions vis-a-vis elections. So this press conference continues, and then the speaker uh, was there as well, and Jim Jordan, and you know when Jim Jordan starts talking. Those actions benefit his family financially, and then there's an effort to sweep it all under the rug. And we know this has happened. The best example is to use the Ukrainian energy company Burisma. Four key facts. Hunter Biden gets put on the board of Burisma. Fact number one. Fact number two. He's not qualified to be on the board. He said so himself in an ABC interview. He said he got the job because of his last name. Fact number three. The executives at Burisma asked Hunter Biden specifically, will you weigh in with folks in D.C. to help us deal with the pressure we are under? A few days later, Joe Biden gets on a plane, flies to Kiev, and announces that you will not get the money that was already approved unless you fire the prosecutor who was applying the pressure. That all happens. That all happens. Those key facts happen. And those facts are confirmed by some of the evidence we've uncovered already. already, This 1023 form where the confidential human source told the FBI and it was recorded in this form. So that's just some of what he's got. Some of what they have together. Now, if you forget what it is that Joe Biden said regarding the billion dollars, well, allow me. Um, I remember going over convincing our team, our first to convincing us that we should be providing for loan guarantees. And I went over, I guess, the 12th, 13th time to Kiev and, uh, and I was going, supposed to announce that there was another billion dollar loan guarantee. And I had gotten a commitment from Poroshenko and from uh, Yatsenyuk that they would take action against the state prosecutor, and they didn't. So they said they had. They were walking out to press conference. Said, "No, I said I'm not going to. We're not going to give you the billion dollars." They said, "You have no authority. You're not the president." The president said, "I said call him." (laughs) I said, "I'm telling you, you're not getting the billion dollars." I said, you're not getting the billion. I'm going to be leaving here. And I think it was, what, six hours? I looked, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Well, son of a bitch. <laughs> got fired. And they put in place someone who was solid. Sure they did. I mean, he, that was him bragging about it. Bragging about it. No one should forget that. I believe based on what we have seen, that there's enough to have warranted the impeachment inquiry, and I'm glad that it's going forward. I want to see it continue to build. And if there's enough, I want to see the impeachment take place. And the reason I say if there's enough, if you go down the road of impeachment and you don't have an argument that is sound and data points that you can show America, it backfires and it hurts you in a presidential election. I'm interested in winning. And I know that I have disagreements about this with people. I, I, I think that they are wrong and I make my case. I'm interested in winning. I'm not interested in hitting somebody. I'm interested in the victory. And so when you're talking about impeachment, the victory comes in one of two ways. Either actually being able to get it through the Senate, which right now you could not do, You would not have removal. And the other way 
is if you're engaged in impeachment, you're able to show America these data points, the reality of what happened as a way that it will absolutely influence them in who they vote for coming in 2024. Because the idea that Joe Biden is a corrupt guy, I think is a, well, very provable idea. And some people will be like, Tony, that's so callous, that's so political. Impeachment is political. And don't talk to me about callous. Two impeachments of Donald Trump that never should have happened. Even if you think he was just awful regarding January 6th, if you had gone after him for dereliction of duty, I think you could have gotten somewhere. But you didn't do that. You rushed so quickly, you were just so angry, you didn't know how to function. And since everything about the phone call with um, Trump and Vladimir Zelensky, everything regarding that was fine, and everything about Russia, Russia, Russia was a lie, it was no, there, there was certainly never question, any question in my mind that once it was obvious that this was political, once it was obvious, which was pretty quick when we talk about what the Democrats tried to do uh, to Donald Trump and did do to him with, with an impeachment the first time around, that they set the table for a political action returning to them. And one of the things that Republicans have gotten better at is, don't tell us we're not allowed to do what you do. You act any way you want and the rest of us somehow have to act according to rules you claim that we have. No, 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 no. You've set the table. And you say to me, Tony, this is exactly what's wrong with politics. And I'll say to you, to a large extent, I agree. But what about the idea that these people have to learn? They can't just be abusive and expect nothing to happen to them in return. And if that's what it takes to teach them so the madness stops, I favor this. And you know what I temper it with? Having it. Having the data. Having the everything. That's what this impeachment inquiry has to be about. That's what it has to be about. Having the data. And so far, I think they're doing a pretty good job of it. Then at this, at this press conference, uh, Speaker Mike Johnson. Thank you all for being here. These are, um, these are serious times, and this is a very serious matter. And I've, I've said many times over the last few years, because impeachment has been an issue that we've all become all too familiar with, that next to the declaration of war, you can make an argument that impeachment may be the heaviest power that Congress holds. Th that, that constitutional responsibility lies with the House. We, we have a duty to pursue the facts where they lead. John Adams famously said, facts are stubborn things, and you heard a recitation of that here this morning. These facts are alarming. They're alarming to the American people, they're alarming to us. And so while we take no pleasure in, uh, in the proceedings here, we have a responsibility to do it. We're very proud of the work of these three chairmen that you've seen here, Chairman Comer and Jordan and Smith. They've done an exceptional job in uncovering the obvious corruption. And you've heard it here summarized this morning very succinctly. President Biden and the Biden family. We, we owe it to the American people to continue this process, but to do it methodically and transparently. Many of you know I was on, uh, I'm a lawyer, I'm a constitutional law attorney. I served on President Trump's impeachment defense team twice. And we lamented openly and we decried how the Democrats politicized that process. They were brazenly political and how they, they brought those uh, meritless impeachment charges against the, the president. This, what you're seeing here, is exactly the opposite. We 
are the rule of law team. The Republican Party stands for the rule of law. And the people in charge of this are doing this thoroughly, carefully, methodically. They're investigating and gathering all the facts. And to do this appropriately and to do it in a manner that upholds our constitutional responsibility requires time. It, it requires a sound process. You don't rush something like this. You can't if you're going to have fidelity to the Constitution. These chairmen are committed to proceeding in that manner. Funny. Funny. I know a guy who was having that conversation just moments ago. Ah, oh, yeah, that's right. Exactly the tone the speaker should take. Not one of... of rank politics, not one of bloodthirstiness, but hey, we've got something real here. This is a real problem. And this is what these chairmen are doing is exactly what they should be doing, methodically going through, exposing what's going on. We have a responsibility to the country. Exactly the approach. Exactly. Now, uh, by the way, uh, you should note that I take from this that I think they're actually close to going for impeachment. Uh, this, this, this presser, was to me the first time in all of these conversations where I I say say to myself, I think they might seriously do it, right? I've always looked at it as the political of exposing the information and letting that be the story. That is often uh, enough. I think they might think they've actually got enough to 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 move, and I I'm not saying they definitely will, right? I can't guarantee that. I'm saying I won't be surprised. I'm now fifty fifty on it they might move forward. Based on what we just heard, they might move forward with the impeachment. That's very possible. This is Tony Katz today. A Monday warrior, mean, mean stride. Today's Tom Sawyer, mean, mean pride. If it weren't for Trump, I have no idea what CNN and MSNBC would talk about. Well, MSNBC would talk about how it's cool to hate Jews. But CNN, I'd be at a total loss. Total loss about what in the world they would talk about. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. This is, uh, what is his name? Avalon? I don't, I don't, know, his, I don't know his first name. Uh, well, let, let me start it here. The warning part of this book, which obviously is pervasive throughout... And honestly, it's probably the entire point of yes. it, the warning. And what now Liz Cheney has kind of become the embodiment of is the warning of Donald Trump and the warning to democracy. Part of the conclusion, I'll read this. There's a book. And in the book, it was the big story is Kevin McCarthy went down to see Trump uh, uh, because uh, he was so despondent about 2020. He wasn't eating. I, I don't pay any attention to these books. I never have. I have no idea what's true. Or, or what's not. But the idea that former Representative Liz Cheney is the embodiment of taking on Trump and what is a threat to our democracy is laughable, is a ridiculous concept pushed by CNN and MSNBC, The Washington Post and others, to make you think that she was operating from a position of morality. If she had been operating from a position of morality, I would not have opposed her being on the January 6th committee I would have demanded that she ask serious questions about what it is that they were providing to, to America. And one of the reasons I favor the release of all the audio and all the video is so we could see its totality. I don't argue that a riot didn't happen. I argue that an insurrection didn't happen. And I argue that not everybody there was some kind of horrible person. Well, they should have known better. They weren't allowed to walk through the Capitol. Possibly. 
But a lot of them got invited in. And a lot of them got a thank you on the way out the door. These aren't terrorists. That's the argument. And the argument the left has been making is that everybody, whether you were there or not, is some kind of terrorist. That's my point. That a little bit of nuance would have gone a long way. And a little bit of honesty of, wait, there were some questions here and some things that would have mattered. Not to shy away from it being a riot. Because I don't think you should shy away from it being a riot. But get back to this. As this part is an, is an excerpt. Every one of us, Republican, Democrat, Independent, must work and vote together to ensure that Donald Trump and those who have appeased, enabled, and collaborated with him are defeated. This is the cause of our time. She has, she is, she's staying true to form here. There's no question of that. But I'm wondering, with this book and with what she has stood for since, honestly, January 6th, is it picking up steam, though? Is are people following Liz Cheney to take on this cause? Is there a drumbeat or not? Why won't anybody also not like Donald Trump? Why is he so popular? It's not fair. That's basically what's being asked. Check the answer on CNN. You need a certain trumpet. Leadership requires a clear call. And what I think that I wish we had a full screen of that quote, because I think it's essential. Liz Cheney, who's very conservative, lest we forget, is saying we need to build a broader coalition to defend the country and the Constitution from Donald Trump. And that he has been enabled by cowardice in her political party that is utterly unconnected to anything resembling constitutional values, that constitutional conservatism. One of the excerpts saying that, you know, we're not the party of Reagan anymore, says uh, Kevin McCarthy to Liz Cheney. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're not the party of Bush, we're not the party of Cheney. This is about, in our, we're almost 250 years old, one of the longest lasting democracies in the world. We've faced a lot of challenges, including a civil war. We've never had a leading party candidate campaign as a would-be autocrat. I thought that's exactly what Barack Obama did, by the way. So allow me to, to wholeheartedly disagree with that statement. But let me get into something there that is true. The idea that there are people out there who... Don't see conservatism as the value. The value is America first. Conservatism is dead. I actually got, I shared that with you. I got that phone call. Someone left me a message. Never mind. Uh, they, they don't listen to me. They, they're not paying attention to the things that I say because they're just so angry. But why to tell me you're being a conservative? Conservatism's dead. Uh, America first is what matters. No. <laughs> no. No, thanks. I'll pass. I'm on an island. That's cool. I think I'll have more people on the island than you realize. Nope. And if that's now the game that we're playing, oh, we got to dig into something different here. Conservatism is where it's at. Philosophy is where it's at. The basis and the reason, not some emotional freak show and idol worship. Sorry, I'm out. Never going to be a part of that. That's a legitimate conversation. What does the party base itself on? The problem when this happens in the media is that they don't ever ask the question, well, what are the Democrats basing themselves on? If we're going to now get into what parties base themselves on. But you can't say he's the first guy to run as an autocrat. Dear Lord, Barack Obama told you I have a phone and a pen and I can do anything I want. Fear-mongering around Donald Trump is the only way CNN can operate. But if we've got people who are voting for Trump, not because uh, there's some hope for conservatism, but because they think America first is more important than conservatism, well, then we do have a problem worthy of discussion. This is Tony Katz today.
seeing the bad guys get their just rewards is, well, exactly what you want to see. It, it, it's why people go to the movies. Even if you make it extend and, and the bad guy seems to be getting away with it, you can get people to come back to see what happens next. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Empire proved this. Empire Strikes Back brought you the need to see Return of the Jedi. You didn't want to think that the bad guy was going to get away with it. Right? The Avengers. Oh, what was the one before Endgame? What was, what was the movie there? And, and Thanos gets the gets the snap, um, and uh, and and you're like uh, Infinity War. Thank you, Duh, Infinity War. And then you're like, oh, what's going to happen next? That's why you went to see Endgame, because you want to see the bad guy get their due, not their due. Their just rewards, not their just rewards. Their butt kicked. That's what you wanted to see, and you want to see the good guys be successful. And I think that there's a great uh, reason. Amongst the many reasons that Marvel is is so uh, doing something to the bed that is completely inappropriate is that they forgot this and they want to throw at us their their so-called morality as opposed to sharing good story. That That's a problem. That, amongst other reasons, is part of Marvel's issue. Well, it's nice to see when this happens in the real world, which brings us to a rag called Deadspin. Deadspin wrote a story, a so-called sports reporter by the name of Karen Phillips, and uh, took a screenshot uh, from uh, CBS, which was carrying a Kansas City Chiefs game, football game, and showed a kid, a 10-year-old. Turns out his name is Holden Armenta. And Holden, it showed a side of his face. He's at a Kansas City Chiefs game. He's wearing a Chiefs jersey. He has a Native American headdress on. And his face is painted black in the photo. And so Phillips posts this and says, what is the NFL going to do about this racism? Blackface and cultural appropriation? Roger Goodell, what do you say about this? That's not journalism. That's attacking a kid. Well, this is what the political left is so much about. If you want to know why I'm not a leftist, this is exactly why. Amongst many other reasons, this is why. Nothing, no no research, no asking a question, nothing else. Just, oh my gosh, I'm insulted. Oh my gosh, I'm aggrieved for somebody else. Oh my gosh, I have to stand up for this injustice. What injustice? You don't even know what's going on. Because if you knew what was going on, you would have seen that if you just waited a moment, the kid had red painted on the other side of his face. Colors of the Chiefs. You would have seen video of the kid doing uh, the, 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 the chop, the tomahawk chop, and, and, and kind of singing along with it. And how Chiefs players were joining him. They were on the sideline, and the crowd was doing it, and the Chiefs players were doing it too. Black Chiefs players we're doing it too. And if you had had any decency and asked some questions and maybe had done some reporting, you would learn that this 10-year-old, I believe he's 10, Holden Armenta is actually Native American. His grandfather serving on the Santa Inez band of, I think it's the Chumash Indians. You mean the kid is Native American. He wasn't in blackface. 
And here are you, a grown so-called man, attacking him in the pages of Deadspin. Good Lord. Are you one hateful low-life bastard? Really and truly. First, not a journalist. Secondly, this is not anything having to do uh, really with sports. I hate it when the sports guys do the non-sports stuff. They're so bad at it because they think their emotions are enough. They think that their emotions matter. And your emotions, sports guys, don't matter. By the way, we can apply that to a myriad of places. Your emotions are meaningless. The story matters. And you trying to create one isn't actually journalism. That's propagandism. So now the question is, is the family of Holden going to sue? Here you have a garbage reporter lying about a kid. Is the family going to sue? I certainly hope they do, and I hope Deadspin is out of business because of it. Now, you say to me, Tony, what about a little bit of grace? No, 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 no. Karen Phillips wasn't looking at Grace, trying to understand this kid, understand what's happening, wanted to attack. That's what Karen Phillips wanted. C-A-R-R-O-N, Karen J. Phillips. That's what Karen Phillips wanted. Who, by the way, is a grown man is a black man, puts uh, on his uh, their bio for Deadspin a Morehouse man, Syracuse alumni. I only eat my wings lemon-peppered, and I like brown liquor and brown women. Whoa. Okay. Uh, I'm not quite sure how, how that last part isn't just, you know, uh, bigotry, but I'll leave that uh, to others. Brown liquor refers to uh, bourbon. And on behalf of uh, the bourbon drinkers in America, you're cut off. He, we here at Eat, Drink, Smoke, my, my cigar and bourbon show, largest radio cigar and bourbon show in the country, uh, you cut off. No, you're out. You are, you, you have to, you, no, no, for you, for you, nothing but grain alcohol, which clearly you must have been drinking to write this story about a 10-year-old and go on the attack. But my gosh, yeah, you, you, you really got to show people how concerned you are. I hope they sue the living crap out of them. The daylights out of them. When I talk, when I speak, I, I do this gig, right? I am measured because I think you have to be. And I am not afraid to say what I think of, of people or, or, or statements or actions that I find uh, unacceptable and I give the basis for it. Personal attacks, that's not my bag. Utilizing people to move your political agenda? No, no, no. People engage in things and I talk about it. About kids? Never. I wouldn't talk about Greta Thunberg until she was over 18. I wouldn't talk about David Hogg until he was over 18. I wouldn't do it. So yeah, I don't care what happens to Karen Phillips in terms of a lawsuit. Lose it all. If Deadspin goes out of business, so be it. So be it.
if you had taken any time to learn, you'd be better off. And most importantly, why is everything somehow this crime against humanity? Couldn't it be possible? Let's say none of the other stuff had happened. Couldn't the kid just have been wrong? Can't we just say that? When, when Deshaun, was it Deshaun Jackson from the Eagles uh, was quoting these Hitler quotes? It turns out they were fake Hitler quotes and talking about Louis Farrakhan. We said right here, I, I said it on this show. I don't, I don't want him canceled. I want him to understand how wrong he is. Isn't that the argument to end the cancel culture? But no, here's uh, Karen Phillips, who, C-A-R-R-O-N is how you spell his name, uh, who wants to engage cancel culture on a, on a 10-year-old. And before doing so, didn't say, hey, let me try and learn something about this kid. Let me see if there's anything here. Didn't care. Saw something that would fulfill the agenda of how good he is and it didn't matter who he destroyed in the process. That's the evil. That is the evil of all of this DEI, uh, the, the, the real rank bigotry in this, is that it gives some people this, this perceived bit of moral superiority. It doesn't matter who they destroy to get it. Wait until you learn how selfish these moves and maneuvers are. It isn't to create a better something. Virtue signaling is all about being selfish. And usually I have no issue with being selfish. I think people can be selfish all they want. But to be self, if I have a business and the business makes me a billion dollars a year and I decide not to give it to charity, but I decide to just sit on it, well, it's my business. I don't have to give it to charity. If you think it's selfish, I, I don't care. I'm the one who made the money. I made it legally. Leave me alone. In the case of Karen Phillips, he's so selfish that he didn't care who he destroyed in order to get himself some attention to engage that virtue signaling. That's what DEI does. That's what all that so-called critical thinking does. All that critical race theory nonsense. It allows for attacks and destruction so you can prove yourself worthy to, I don't know whom, people you would destroy tomorrow because it would also prove you worthy. That's the other part of the evil. If showing yourself as a virtue signaler, showing yourself worthy by knocking down other people is your methodology, well, then you always have to knock down other people because you always have to be seen as worthy. How, do, how does that cycle end? Uh, the correct answer is that cycle doesn't end. That's what makes it so damn evil. Because it is. It's just evil. Oh, I hope they sue. I saw somebody put on social media. If you need help with the uh, lawsuit, uh, ju just let me know. Happy to help the funding. Uh, honestly, uh, I, 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 think we, uh, I think we should. I think we should all help with the funding. Time for some people to learn some lessons. Um, do actual journalism and leave 10-year-olds alone. I think the kid's 10. Just that easy. I didn't realize that that would have to be said in 2023, except, of course, that has to be said in 2023. Journalists should do real journalism and maybe, just maybe, leave 10-year-olds alone. I think that's good, practical advice. 
I'm Tony Katz. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. This is Tony Katz Today. So Black Friday was a success, kind of. The story that that I have, admittedly the story is from yesterday, there are probably some more stories out today, Shopper turnout across websites and stores was at an all-time high. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. An all-time high, 200.4 million over a five-day weekend. Thanksgiving Day through Cyber Monday. This according to the National Retail Federation. So this is, this is um, what they have for us. But it gets a little interesting. That shoppers shelled out an average of $321.41 on holiday-related purchases over the weekend. So, $321. That's roughly in line with last year. Now, now I have to stop. How is it that the turnout was an all-time high, but the average was the same? Are you saying that more people bought, spent $321? Or are you saying that even with more people out, the total average was $321? These are two very, very different things. And I would like to know which which one it is. If I take a look, uh, I, I've got multiple stories here. Here's Forbes. Holiday season is off to a record start with over 200 million shoppers during Black Friday weekend. I'll admit when I'm wrong. Because everything was setting up for, yeah, this was not going to be a good holiday season. But you have the National Retail Federation saying we had a very big weekend. This was a major holiday, a record setter. But was it a record center for the amount of money spent or the amount of people out? Meaning, did the people actually spend less per person, but more people were out, so therefore you had higher averages? According to the Retail Federation... Uh, it was up 2% over last year in terms of the number of people. And we know that prices are more expensive. So when you tell me that the number was flat to last year at this $321, I'm asking the question, so does that mean less things were actually purchased? But is it more than you expected so you're still kind of happy? Well, total online spending for the five-day holiday period, remember Thanksgiving through Cyber Monday, was $38 billion, this according to Adobe Analytics, which is up 7.8% year over year. But it doesn't answer the question. The question is, what about the increase in prices? What was actually sold versus the amount they were sold for? The amount of online spend between November 1st and uh, 6 p.m. on Cyber Monday, 105.2 billion. I have no idea if that's um, a, a record or, or or not. Shopify says that merchants broke records for the holiday weekend, ringing up over $9 billion, $9.3 billion in online and in-store sales from Black Friday to Cyber Monday, up 24% over the same period in 2022. What I need to know from those retailers is, did they sell more goods? Or did the goods they sell just happen to cost more? According to the National Retail Federation, 
they're confident that consumers will meet the group's forecast of three to four percent sales growth this year. Still doesn't answer the question. Now, uh, for for the sake of, of clarity, and and it's a constant reminder, I want people, uh, these stores to be doing well. I want these businesses to be doing well. While I think people should have savings and serious levels of savings, it shouldn't all be all about spending. I'm very happy to see if people are feeling good and out there spending and they actually think that the economy has a turnaround. I, I'm, I'm overjoyed by that idea. I don't know where it comes from. Oh, because inflation is, is gone. It's not gone. It's flat to, to, to the last month. It's not gone at all. The Fed has not said they're going to reduce rates, even though you've got people uh, out there who are betting money on the idea that interest rates are, in terms of the federal funds rate is going to go down a near percent in 2024. That, that's guesswork. That's where the futures are. Uh, where is the average person? The average person spent more? I would like to know. Did the average person spend more and did they get more for it? Are they feeling better? I'd be happy if they were. I just don't know where it's coming from. And I'm not trying to play naive. I'm stating that the idea that this economy is in a great place is a laughable proposition. Laughable. But man, the numbers seem to kind of show that they're spending like it. Spending like everything's fine. So we got to dig in on these numbers a little bit. Find everything at TonyKatz.com tomorrow, everyone. Take care.